Hello, beloved, and welcome to service again. Uh, I'm so glad that we can continue to connect as the body of Christ, and especially today, um, I hope that you are encouraged by the worship, by the praise, and by uh, the gospel that is coming to you. Um, and as we go into God's word, would you turn with me to the book of Second Peter, chapter 1, verses 3 through 11. This is God's word from Second Peter, chapter 1, verses 3 through 11. And if you don't have the Bible, a Bible with you, it'll show up on screen. This is the word of the Lord. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason... Make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ." Whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. The word of the Lord. As we go into God's word, uh, there's a question that I want to ask to hopefully undergird and convict our hearts um, to turn our, our lives in entirety after what God is speaking to and after in Second Peter. And that question is this, what holds us to be steadfast in times of anxiety, fear, and uncertainty? What holds us to be steadfast in times of fear, anxiety, and uncertainty? As we are going through our series called Steadfast, as we are entering into another week of this unprecedented time of quarantine and isolation and uncertainty, what holds us grounded after Christ? And maybe the more convicting and deeper question beyond that is, is it Christ that we are seeking in our daily lives? Last Sunday we celebrated Easter in an unprecedented and strange manner in which we were all in separate places quarantined at home. And Pastor Michael spoke to us and gave us the gospel out of 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 3, which reminded us that Christ causes us to be born again to a living hope, not only in general, but specifically through the resurrection and his victory over death and sin. This was a great time and this was a great day of celebrating as multiple social media posts of our church and people that I know all around the United States and the world began posting emphatically, Christ is risen, hallelujah, and celebrating his victory over sin and death. And yet something happened after Easter, maybe even just the day after Easter. We went back to our old lives. Those who posted these emphatic declarations of Christ has risen immediately returned to messages of frustration, judgment, and fear. The same voices that profess Christ has risen resigned themselves to anxiety, doubt, and hopelessness. And faithful brothers and sisters immediately fell back into their old schedules of laziness and apathy. 
I noticed that even in my heart, I struggled with the effects of being separated from being home all the time and having seemingly all of my life and ministry interrupted by this. And maybe after a month it was okay, but something happened after a month, especially with the knowledge that we were going to continue to do this until May 15th, where I began to wonder, what is holding me steadfast? Because frankly, to do it on my own, to do it on our own, is too difficult. It's impossible and will end in failure. How can we fight to be faithful and joyful and persevere of our own will and effort? There's an interesting distinction between 1 Peter and 2 Peter, where 1 Peter is the first letter that the apostle Peter writes to the church in order to teach the basics of the gospel and to encourage them to live faithfully in the promise of Jesus Christ. This is what we heard last Sunday in Pastor Michael's sermon, that our hope is not just hope, but it's a living hope established and given through the righteousness and the resurrection of Jesus Christ on the cross. Second Peter, then, is the final letter and ministry work of the Apostle Peter before he was martyred, in which he writes to not teach necessarily, but to remind the church of what they were forgetting and falling away from as history continued forward. You see, the context of the church in 2 Peter was a little different from the context of the church in 1 Peter in that there were many more false teachers within the church teaching false doctrine and discouraging and stumbling believers away from the gospel. Second, the first generation of Christians that led the church for so long, who, whose words carried more weight because they walked with the apostles and heard the voice of Christ, were beginning to die off. And so as leadership was shifting, they were losing their focus on the gospel. And third, after so many years and, and temptations combating against the church, they were beginning to weaken in their resolve and falling into fear, uncertainty, and anxiety. And what we see in the letter of Second Peter is not just reminders, but there's three specific reminders that outline his heart for the church before he goes to die in obedience to Christ. The first reminder we have in our text today is, verses three through four, and the first thing that comes to mind is we have all we need in Christ alone. Verses three through four says this, his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. Church, Peter reminds us, of, reminds us of the primary and greatest rock on which we can place our faith and hope is that Christ is enough on his own. And not only is he enough on his own in his death and resurrection to victory, but he has already, by his victory, given us everything we need, both for eternity, yes, but even today, now, to strive to be faithful in obedience and excellence in the spirit of God. He has already given us everything that we need for a life of righteousness through faith in him. It is not that we have earned it. It's not that we have accomplished it. It's not even that we have, or that we're anywhere near closer to our own redemption of our own selves. But the assurance and promise of the gospel that Peter reminds the church of is that apart from Christ, we need nothing. That he alone is good. That he alone is enough. Specifically, Peter reminds us that we are given life and godliness through knowledge of God. 
that we are given life today, that we are given life tomorrow and into eternity, and that we are given the righteousness of godliness, not because that's who we are, but because that is what is given in the victory of Christ to his people. And that as we are given knowledge of God's character, it compels us to faith in the spirit. And as we grow in faith, that it, it deepens our knowledge and desire for God. And in this cycle of knowledge and faith, that we are becoming more and more like the one who has created and redeemed us. Beloved of Jesus Christ, if this is not the good news, then I don't know what is. If this is not the good news that we are given everything we need by the death and resurrection of Christ for righteousness and life eternally and today, then I don't know what else could be better. Peter reminds us that we are not defined by our situations and circumstances, nor are we captives any longer to the whims and fads of this world. In faith, grounded in our knowledge of Christ as Lord and Savior, we are free, we are called, and we are able to live in the promise of God today and forevermore. Why does this matter for us? Why does this fact matter for us? Practically today, as we are isolated at home, and even though we are working, working from home is a very different thing as well. And some of us are wrestling with children, some of us are wrestling with greater levels of uncertainty and anxiety. But what we are actually doing with each passing day where we press deeper and deeper into apathy and anxiety and frustration is we are forgetting that Christ is enough and we are placing our allegiance and our worship in other things to distract us from the primacy of Christ. Some of us it's Netflix, some of us it's social media, some of us it's irresponsibility, some of us it's apathy. But when we participate in the life of these things, to the point of idolatry and vanity, we forget and we reject the notion of the gospel that Christ is enough. There's a couple of things that fixing our eyes on Christ as our sole and only necessity for salvation does for us. Number one, it relieves us of the pressure to achieve our own salvation. It relieves us of this pressure that we think that we have to accomplish and achieve our own salvation. Two, It frees us to seek God in his word, in prayer, and in obedience in all things as an act of loving relationship and not out of obligation. And three, and perhaps most convicting, trusting that Christ is enough correctly shifts our point of view and life perspective to trust in God and his promise. You see, when we live as if God is not enough, we are shifting our theology and our our perspective and our vision of God from being sovereign and great and eternal into the small, incapable, small deity. I know that I shared this quote with you a couple of weeks ago in the first midweek Devo, but the quote continues to ring true today. Crystal Black Gifford reminds us that if you are not anchored in the goodness of God, you will lower your theology to match your pain. If you are not anchored in the goodness of God, in other words, if we are not anchored in the goodness and sovereignty that Christ alone is enough, not only for our victory now, but forevermore, not only because he gives us his righteousness now, but forevermore, not only because we have his promises now, but forevermore, if we are not anchored in the goodness of God, then we will lower our theology, our perspective of our lives, our perspective of who we are, and our perspective of how we are called to live to match our pain to match our perspective, to match our suffering. Christ is enough, and Christ alone is enough. This is the gospel bedrock on which we can place our hope. The second reminder as he continues is then how we are to live daily after Christ. In verses 5 through 9, Peter reminds the church, for this very reason, 
Make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. For this very reason, and therefore, in the New Testament, those are two of among my favorite phrases, because whenever the apostle Peter or Paul uses for this very reason or therefore, what it's actually a signature or mark for is to go back and reread the section that we have just come from. Peter is saying, for this very reason, in other words, because of what Christ has done, because of what he has given us, and because we have hope in Christ alone, both now in this life and for eternity, how can we respond and live daily after Christ? Well, he tells us, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness, etc., etc., etc. The first thing I want to point out is this point where he says, make every effort, meaning that in faith, knowing that we are convicted and saved by the cross of Christ, we are to respond with effort. There is a Christian responsibility to seek to use the gifts and the righteousness and the calling that he has bestowed upon us as his children. We are to make every effort or to seek as great importance of priority and to passionately pursue a faithful response to God's equipping of us in his righteousness and character. Make every effort means that we are to practice and seek to grow in godliness. And brothers and sisters, I don't know about you, but I have not been making every effort when every day to grow in godly character and grow, to grow in perseverance, to grow in knowledge, to grow in steadfastness, to grow in affection, to grow in love during this time because I've been obsessed and maybe even overwhelmed at times with my own life and rhythms that I've turned my heart towards. Peter reminds us that because of what Christ has done, we are not forced to, but we are free to make every effort. True faith requires and results in faithfulness Faithfulness meaning a life moving after obedience and love to grow and multiply in godliness. We respond to the gospel by seeking to establish ourselves and grow in faith and virtue, which is the character of God, and knowledge and self-control and steadfastness and godliness and brotherly affection and love, not because we are easily able to achieve this or even practice this on our own, but because this is what Christ has already given to us and gifted to us in the cross. Verse 8, he says, if you possess these qualities in an increasing measure, meaning he's not calling us to perfectly obtain and achieve these things, but in a growing measure, if we are faithfully maturing in in the grace of God, then we will be effective and fruitful for the gospel. The command is that we live to practice these qualities of faithful Christian life in all that we do, and to develop and to abound and overflow. We do not become automatically godly just simply by believing or knowing in our head what virtue and steadfastness and love and brotherly affection is. It's something that we must practice. There's a beautiful illustration of this in the most important movie ever made by Hollywood in 2007. It was called Evan Almighty. And this is actually a pretty terrible movie when you come up 
or when you measure it against theological truths or examples, but there's one moment of golden goodness here towards the end where Evan, Evan's wife is in a bar and lamenting the fact that her husband went crazy because he's hearing the voices of God. And God, in the form of Morgan Freeman, asks this to her or says this to her. Let me ask you something. If one prays for patience, do you think God gives them patience? Or does he give them the opportunity to be patient? If they pray for courage, does God give them courage? Or does he give them opportunities to be courageous? If one prayed for their family to be closer, you think God zaps them with warm, fuzzy feelings? Or does he give them opportunities to love one another? If we seek to respond to Christ in faithfulness through all things, by what he has given to us, to practice them in obedience and surrender and trust then we will grow in godly knowledge, we will grow in godly character, and we will eagerly seek to multiply in his image, not only for our good, but for his glory and the encouragement of those around us. So something practical that we can take away from this is the next time that we are challenged in our day-to-day with opportunities of patience, of love, of grace, of steadfastness, may we see it as opportunities to be obedient to Christ as we trust in the fact that he has already given us what we need in him to accomplish our faithfulness after him. And not just wondering if we're in the mood in that moment, not just wondering if we try harder in that moment that we will achieve our victory. The third reminder that Peter gives the church is in verses 10 through 11. And the third reminder is that we must daily confirm our calling and election. Verses 10 through 11 says this, Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election, For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. There's this word that he uses in verse 10. He says, be diligent. And I think that's a word that falls to the wayside for many of us, especially in this season of difficulty and anxiety and uncertainty. To be diligent means to check and to check again and to check again the next day. To be diligent means to make sure of, to be active, and to be purposeful of in. To guard your faith and life in Christ, and not only to be diligent in guarding, but to grow in godliness and making sure, making sure that we are being obedient to what Christ calls us to in his promise and not what we think our faith or godliness looks like. Diligence is a difficult thing because diligence requires that we go beyond ourselves and we surrender to what we are striving to be diligent towards. We try to raise plants in our home, and the reason why they unfailingly die every single time we spend good money on these new plants that we have to have is because we are not ultimately diligent in watering and remembering to keep them alive. And the irony is that we want to have children someday and we take care of our in-laws and we take care of our community. And yet it seems so difficult to think and remember to take the four seconds, a couple days, to pour water on a green plant. And yet we are not diligent, we lack. And I think this highlights the focus that we have. It is much easier and I am much more passionate about loving and being diligent to a community of people, to the church that God has called me to serve, than it is to love a plant for four seconds. We are diligent after what we love. And for some of us, I, I think we have to understand this thing. The reason why Paul or Peter is reminding us to confirm our calling and election is not because we are good at doing this. It's because that we lack love 
for Christ as Lord, Savior, and King. We lack a love and a surrender to Christ as our Lord, Savior, and King, and therefore it is difficult to be diligent. We must daily remind ourselves that not only has Christ risen, but through his resurrection that he has given us everything we need to be redeemed both today and forevermore. We must be diligent in preaching the gospel, not only to others, but first preaching it to our own selves, that as an act of love that we are submitting and surrendering ourselves to the authority and sovereignty of God. And we must be diligent in daily walking after Christ in a growing love, knowledge, and practice of his character in life to confirm our calling and election, to make sure not that God knows, for he does, but to make sure that we know whom we are living for and what we are living for and how we are called to live. And if we are faithful in continuing to be diligent in confirming our calling and election, the promise is that we have eternity with Christ awaiting us. If we confirm our calling and election in Christ with all faithfulness, God's promise will be fulfilled as he richly provides entry into eternal life with him as our Lord and Savior. What holds us to be steadfast in times of fear and uncertainty and anxiety? Only the divine power of God. Only the bedrock of Christ in his resurrection and victory over sin and death. And only the spirit convicting and compelling us after Christ in daily obedience and in daily submission to him. In moments of hardship and struggle, let us remember he who calls us is perfectly faithful. And as we know him, as we love him, as we place our faith in him, let us daily walk with joy in order to preach the gospel to ourselves and to others and to be diligent in growing in obedience to his character. We have and perhaps will continue to feel the weight of this time in our lives in the days to come. We may even feel that we are buried in the depths of brokenness and feel that we are separated from God and forgotten. And there's this powerful line that Christine Kane, a Christian speaker, uh, spoke many years ago at a conference that I was at. And it, it really convicted me because it seems so profound and powerful. Christine Kane says to those who feel that they are lost and and, and covered under the avalanche of hardship and despair, she says to them, sometimes when you're in a dark place, you think you've been buried. But actually, you've been planted. This is a powerful quote. It always, it always encourages me. It never fails to give me the sense of chutzpah. This is like the greatest locker room halftime speech where we go back out into the court or into the field to play a better second half. But there's one amendment that I would like to add, especially in light of reflecting on Second Peter chapter 1. When Christine Kane says, sometimes when you're in a dark place, you think you've been buried, but actually you've been planted. This makes us feel powerful and inspired and passionate to pursue Christ to whatever way that we think that we can. But we all too easy, easily and all too often forget that no matter how many times or how deep a seed is not buried but planted, if that seed is not planted in good soil, it will never grow. What holds us to be steadfast in times of fear, uncertainty, and anxiety? The hope of the gospel and God's saving love for us we as seeds must not just be planted, but we must be planted in the soil of God's grace. And that is the thing that we must cling to as our only hope and encouragement. We must trust that he is enough 
We must trust that in the cross, Christ has already done everything. And in his victory, he has given us everything we need for life, both today and hope, today and forevermore, in spite of our sin and vanity, vanity to be sons and daughters of heaven. Not because we are good seeds, but because he is the good soil, which springs to life what is broken and what is lost. This is the joy and the grace and the confidence that we have to live in times of fear, uncertainty, and anxiety. We can only be steadfast because God is steadfast and faithful to us first. Everything is a response of faith, of trust, and hope that Christ is enough, of obedience to the call of living daily and growing in virtue and the character and the knowledge and love of Christ, and then daily making sure of our election and calling in order that we would be made genuine in the grace of God. Nothing we do of our own will will carry us through our fear and certain anxiety. Only on the bedrock of Christ alone can we continue to be steadfast, for he is steadfast first. Beloved of Christ, may God's word and the loving encouragement and reminder of the Apostle Peter both convict our hearts and compel us to trust in God's promise to walk daily, to grow in the knowledge and love of Christ. And may we make much of Christ as he has made much of us. Let's pray. Father God, we surrender our hearts to you at this time. And we confess to you first and foremost that we have not lived as if you are enough. We have not lived as if you are the entirety of our hope and our foundation and the rock that we stand on. Lord, would you be gentle and merciful in our conviction, but would you also truly convict our hearts that we would be humbled in your presence, not just as our Savior, but as King and Lord of our lives. Heavenly Father, would you continue to urge us to speak the gospel to our own selves, to speak the gospel to others in order to encourage and relate to them your grace. And Lord, that we would use the gifts that you have given to us, that, you would u- that we would use the, the character that you have given to us as your children in a daily and growing and faithful manner so that it w- we would be made genuine children of heaven according to your power and promise. And Lord, that daily as we are diligent in pursuing after you and diligent of making sure who we are clinging to and and why we are able to be steadfast, Lord, that you would have your way and be glorified and that your honor and that your righteousness would shine through the cracks of our lives. Father, convict our hearts at this time. Cement us and root us in the grace of your gospel. And Lord, let the words of the Apostle Peter be something that we take into this coming week with strength, with courage, and with joy as we respond to what you have given, to what you have done, and to what you have called us to. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.